Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, alongside virtually, as always, Patrick Williams from theHL.com. Getting you set here for another episode of you know the AHL's podcast, and we've got right in the thick of the the first round play in series right now. Pat, what were your observations from night one, which was last night? Just that uh, I think it's true in any league, but probably doubly so in the American Hockey League, that uh, you can throw the entire regular season out the window uh, when it comes to the AHL playoffs because the rosters have changed so much. Um, you're getting players coming in. On the other hand, you're getting key players going up to the NHL, like with Charlotte and Alex Lyon. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can look at season series and, and, you know, we all try to find these little nuggets of information here and there uh, to make sense of things. But um, in the AHL, uh, they don't tend to be all that helpful for that reason. It's crazy too, that with it being a best of three series, like last night, um, Wednesday night, you know, Rockford and Iowa gets to side in overtime. So they go into the next game just by one goal at overtime, kind of giving the win. You're now one win away from advancing. It's pretty crazy how quickly that shapes up. Um, you know, we talked about last episode, how Coachella Valley, for instance, who was vying for first, didn't get it. Cause Calgary finished first. They're in the, the play in series. They, you know, they beat Tucson quite uh, handily, but if they had lost, they're one that the one of the best teams in the last decade would be one loss away from from being done already. Well, that's the thing, right? Like you're one way from advancing. Not a cool. You're also, you're also one win or one loss away from your whole season going up in smoke. So that's that's where it's real tricky. And it's you know, it was cool. interesting. It is. I was thinking of that last night. Like Bakersfield Abbotsford was one of those first periods where there's definitely you can see the teams trying to feel their way through it, um, yeah. feel each other, uh, feel, feel each other out. And then two periods later, Bakersfield is already now facing elimination and, and their season could be done by, by, by Friday. Right. So right. Um, it's, it's a real sort of different element um, to the playoffs in the sense that you don't get that. You don't get much time to, to kind of, find your game or, or get uh, new pieces coming in, get them integrated. Like you have to hit the ground running and, and, and the same thing is going to apply uh, next week when you have the teams that got a buy for this round now have to jump in to a playoffs series against teams that have already had two or three games to kind of find themselves. So there's a lot of moving parts in this league um, that. You know, the, sort of the conventional wisdom with with the Stanley Cup playoffs really is not applicable to this league, you know, really at all anymore. Absolutely. So l- let's get this out of the way right off the hop. Full disclosure, we probably should have done awards for the season last week. Um, we did our playoff preview, which is still, you know, pretty much 99% up to date with what the matchups are today. But we probably should have done the awards then. But we're going to make up for it, and we want to do kind of our own awards. And Pat kind of made his own ballot. We used some of the awards that are in the AHL, but also created some of our own just to get a little bit creative um, and whatnot. So what I want to do is I want to go through your ballot, Pat, and maybe before you you know say who you have for each award, maybe just explain your criteria for picking that award. Or sorry, for picking that player for the award um, and whatnot. Sure. And then we uh, have some... Just before we get to that, we also have some play. If you're watching the show, not listening, we have some player cards. Um, the data is from Instat, um, advanced analytics company. I took it and put it into Google Sheets, and it's for percentile ranks. 
the percentiles represent the players ranking, um, you know, over the last three years amongst. So if you're a forward, you're amongst forward defense amongst defensemen um, that have played at least 200 minutes, even strength uh, in each of or one of the th- last three seasons. So let's uh, let's get right to it. And let's start with you know the first award you're thinking, Pat. First award I'm thinking is uh, most valuable player. Obviously a pretty standard award, uh, whatever league you're talking about. Um, my pick uh, would be, I think this is going to be the case for a lot of people, uh, Dustin Wolf of the Calgary Flames, or Calgary Wranglers, I should say, soon to be of the Calgary Flames. Um, one of the all-time great seasons, really, um, if you really start to break down the numbers, just in terms of, Performance, but also workload, right? Like this is a league, this is a team, especially where they're the Western Conference. They play a lot of back-to-backs. He takes that workload. Uh, and there's really been no dip in his game at all. Like you just don't, you, you keep waiting for it to happen, right? Like just that's a natural progression of young goalies and it never, never comes to be. And for me, that's the thing that really stands out. Like, you know, generally you know, there's always that debate, should goalies be MVP? But I think his season has been so phenomenal. Um, he at one point had Calgary position um, chasing the all-time um, top point percentage for a season in the American Hockey League. And only, you know, they only missed by a couple of wins, actually. Um, so it was uh, just a standout performance, really, from from start to finish, back-to-back uh, goalie of the year um, announced by the league. Um, first team all-star back-to-back. He was rookie of the year last year. I mean, kind of everything you'd want for a young prospect. I mean, and we said this a hundred times if we said it once, it's all this from a seventh rounder. So it's just a phenomenal story. And I think you're looking at the future of the Calgary Flames in net for, you know, the next 10 years, um, maybe as soon as next year. And we also have Wolf as the top goaltender, kind of goes without saying. Um, because of what you just said, I completely agree, Pat. Dustin Wolf has been sort of the the in a league where 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 you know turnover is almost a byproduct of the league itself. He's been one of the true superstars in the league mm-hmm. last year and this year combined. Now let's get to so obviously I didn't have a card for the goaltenders. I only have Fords and defensemen, um, which we'll get to in a second here. So let's get to our next award, Pat, and that's going to be our prospect of the year, David Yurichek. Yeah, sixth overall pick uh, this past uh, summer by Columbus. Uh, I love what they did with him. Um, They took a really, really patient approach with him, and yet they sprinkled in some NHL time here and there. They gave him a couple games at the start of the year uh, with the Blue Jackets, let him get up there, get a sense of what he's dealing with up there, then come back and really settle in with Cleveland. Um play a ton of minutes, play all situations. Then they let him go to the World uh, Junior Championship. So you get him into a different environment uh, mid-season, kind of break up the season a little bit, have him come back to, to Cleveland, play down the stretch. And then as Columbus is playing out the string for them, um, they had him going back and forth, you know, on an almost nightly basis between Cleveland and Columbus. One night in the AHL, the next night, up in Columbus playing 20 plus minutes a night. So uh, I think the management of him as a young 18 year old has been excellent. And I think, you know, when I look at him, you know, for me, prospect of the year is who is in 10 years going to be kind of a household name in the NHL, you know, who's playing in the HL right now. And I think for me, 
uh, your check is, is all that. And then some, I mean, I, I'm watching and I can't really, I can't believe this kid is, is 19 years old right now. And, you know, I just, I think, you know, when you look at Sip's overall pick, obviously the expectations are high, but I thought he even exceeded that, you know, in terms of what he did this year uh, and just the poise that he already plays with at such a young age. I think it's also worth noting. So you look at the cards, um, you know, Corsi for expected goals for Corsi against expected goals against all these are the percentiles of the per 60 outputs. Um, just keep in mind here a couple of things like Cleveland was not a very good team for some yeah. from for considerable stretches. So when it comes to underlying numbers, that's kind of why someone like him's might be lesser or worse. We're not here saying he's a bad defensive player or whatever it may be. These are just kind of benchmark metrics. Um, but yeah, I find Eurocheck's deployment very interesting as well, given the fact that there was, you know, probably a lot of temptation to have him in the NHL for for a bulk of the year, given how good he was playing. But I think the patient approach proved up, you know, proved to be the best one with this. Now the next one we'll do is defenseman of the year. Um, the AHL calls it the Eddie Shore Award, but this is Pat's uh, Pat's picks. Who's the defenseman of the year for you, Patrick? Uh, for me, Darren Radish, Syracuse Crunch. Uh, what a great story, right? Like a guy who's undrafted came in on an AHL deal with Rockford uh, back in 2017. And, you know, he was by no means a, a you know overnight um, development uh, success. It, it took him a while. He's now on his third uh, franchise, third team, um, and now here he is in the you know with the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, a team that's gone to back to back. Stanley Cup uh, finals, or actually, you know, the past three and won twice. Um, and as we saw that, uh, you know, they, it was, we saw against the Leafs the other night, uh, it looked like a team that could be doing some damage again. So, and he's been a part of that team down the stretch. Uh, so just a, a, a great example of a player that he needed a lot of time, right? Like he's 27 years old. Um, it took him a long time to find his game, find what worked for him, and then really – build upon that and then he got into the Tampa system and I thought that really helped him uh, really kind of polish the last edges of his game off um and uh, sure enough I, like he's now settled in there with the lightning and I don't think he's coming back to the HL anytime soon as a result so this is just one of those cases where uh, it's a real win for the whole development model and kind of like when you're looking at you know success stories this is definitely one of them I love how you picked Radish because defenseman of the year, I think, especially in a league like this where you're you're an NHL feeder, I mm-hmm. think there should be merit put onto a guy that graduates, you know, throughout the year. Not right away, you know, after ten games, not gonna give the guy defense of the year. But, you know, he played he's playing with Mikhail Sergachev on Tampa's second pairing right now in the playoffs. He, you know, from basically March onward, I believe, has been with Tampa Bay. Um it it's a it's a huge success story, and frankly, I think um, you know, numbers don't lie. He had a huge impact in the AHL this season. Um, I also just uh, undersold the numbers for the last card, so I'm not trying to not trying to flip flop too much. But I think it, it's true. Radish had a really big year playing in top pairing minutes, and um, yeah, I I, I think uh, it's a good pick, Pat, for sure. Next award we'll get to moving up front, the forward of the year. Lots of options, I'm sure. Um, when we were originally going to do it where I picked one, I, I, I was honestly having a hard time. So I just defer to you because there were so many very, uh, very good options at hand. And I think you make a case for about eight guys, to be honest with you. Um, and that's kind of always how it is. But without further ado, Patrick, what is your uh, vote for forward of the year? 
Matthew Phillips, Cowdery. Uh, <clears throat> I love everything about the way he plays. Um, you know, where he's listed at, you know, height wise, size wise, I mean, it's not very generous to start with. He's listed at 5'8, 165 ish. I mean, I think that's probably generous. Uh, and generous. Has him at 5'7. Yeah, you know, I mean, and we all know that heights and weights. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a little bit uh, a little Absolutely. deceiving, right? Uh, yeah. Nevertheless, I mean, whatever he is, he plays like he's six two, two fifteen. The way he goes to the in- inside of the ice, the way he goes to the net, um, the way he stops at the net, uh, he does all the things that you know you, you want young forwards to do. And uh, just plays such a big game, and, and you know, goes into the corners, comes out with the puck, uh, just plays a real gritty style of game, and I, I mean that in a good way. It's not a fighting type of grit; totally. it's just a yeah. uh, constant battling, constant competing, um, and, and as a result, you know, he produces right. Like, and I still think there's an NHL player there. He didn't get much of a shot this year in Calgary at all. I think probably for him. Um, the writing is on the wall that he needs to go somewhere else to get that oh, shot. But I mean, how many times have we seen guys that just needed that opportunity, right? Like a Carter yeah, Hayden. For um, sure. You know, you know, these guys produce in the AHL and it's just, uh, it's just a matter of somebody get, getting in your corner, believing you, and then actually putting you in a position to succeed. Look, I, I, think, I think for him. Yeah, no, sorry to cut you off there, Pat, my bad, but I, I think you make a great point. Like, I think that if it weren't for the size I think by now he'd be at the very least a third or fourth line energy guy. Sure. Now that's a big if, right? I'm not like I could I could say if a guy wasn't six eight and he was five nine, he wouldn't be in the league. But just just bear with me here. I think sure. there's a player there because two things about him. One, he may be small, but he makes plays in front of the net. He's yeah. a pretty good four checker. And you mentioned Verhage. He led the AHL in scoring before going to Tampa and you know, being an energy role. Then he goes to Florida and you know, the rest is history. He's one of the best goal scorers in the league. I think for Phillips, it's tough because, you know, his size will always put a question mark over his head. And secondly, you know, Daryl Sutter isn't the most, uh, how do we say it, um, accommodating for young talent. Is that a good way to put it? Or, or maybe is it the most susceptible to, to play young talent, right? He prefers veterans. I there you he's... go. That was <laughs> what you said. It's probably a fair way to put it, yes. More fair way to put it. Okay, so you're right. Like, that will definitely block him, but yeah, I, I see a player, you know, he just kind of has, I think that obviously you could say, you know, if you're an elite player in the AHL, doesn't mean you're going to go in the NHL. That's totally true. Sure. But most of those guys usually get a chance, and yeah. he hasn't really gotten one. No. So it's hard to write him off in that sense. I'll throw, I'll throw two names out there too, right? Like two guys that look like, okay, they're probably just AHL players. Yanni Gord and uh, Jonathan Marchessault, right? Like Jonathan Marchessault. Did not light up the league, the no. AHL right away by any means. I mean, he, he was solid, there, you sure. know, but uh, wasn't like you look at him, you're like, okay, that's a, that's a surefire NHL player. That's a guy that's going to score 25, 30 goals multiple years in a row in the NHL and like just become a real a real fixture. Like same thing with Gord. I mean, Gord Gord was different. I mean, he was such an energy guy that you thought maybe there was a chance there. But I mean, another small. Um, guy that everybody kind of wrote off and you know just you know oh he's just an AHL player he's destined to be nothing more than that destined to put up points and that's all he is and then again you get an opportunity you get somebody who believes in you and lo and behold uh those players who have had to battle at every level right up from junior 
to the AHL in Yanni Gord's case, the ECHL. Yeah. Um, I mean, he played for an ECHL team that, that, that folded mid season. Right. So like, you know, that's the level of like battle that he had to work through. Right. Yeah. And you, you know, if a guy's willing to do that, he's certainly going to work once he gets to the NHL. So I would love to see like a Phillips go to like a Tampa, right. Like, and, and you know, see what they can do with his game. Uh, I, I, I love everything about his game. If he has a good preseason, I could definitely see him getting claimed in the, the first round of, of waiver yes. guys. I, I could, I could for sure see that happening. Uh, especially, especially if Calgary goes in a long run, which I think we both think they will. So that, that definitely is working in his advantage. So uh, the next one is is a really interesting one here. Um, veteran of the year, yes. And and this is a this is a cool kind of idea you came up with. What's your criteria first off, so so people know like what what goes into this award? Yeah, in a nutshell, it's the best blend of um, production on ice play with the best sort of off ice leadership. The guy that really buys in to what sure. he's doing down at the AHL level really doesn't just sort of look for his next call up, but is somebody that is is fully invested with, with the AHL team. And I went with Riley Nash's Charlotte. I, I think it's a great story, right? Like here's a guy who was playing game six of the Stanley cup final last year with Tampa. Yeah. Um, couldn't get a job all summer. Like couldn't even get a, a sniff. Right. Yeah. Finally, you know, he, he, what I like about him is that he took matters into his own hands, right? Like he started making phone calls around asking really? people. Yes. And, you know, have you heard anything? You know, do you know if this team's looking for anybody? You know, da, 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 da. You know, here's a guy, you know, he's, he's played, what, 600 games in the NHL. Like, and he was willing to kind of uh, really buckle down and, and, and take his career um, into his own hands. I think that's such a great example for young players that, like, if you don't look out for your career, who will, right? And right. Um, so he did that. Uh, he got an AHL deal in Charlotte, came in, obviously produced. I mean, that's not such a surprise. I mean, he's, uh, he's probably a player that, that's uh, above the level of this league. And, and, but also just a high-character guy. Uh, Zach Dalpe was, uh, you know, the captain in Charlotte, but he, he's been off in Florida quite a, you know, quite a while. So it's almost like it was on Riley Nash to unofficially – uh, take that captaincy role um, without wearing the C and fill in while, while, while Dappe was gone. And I, I talked to Zach uh, a fair amount about that and just, you know, how much he appreciated that, that, you know, like when, when you're the captain of the team, like that's your baby, right? Like yeah. even when you're off in the NHL, you still feel that, that pull, you still feel that, that, that um, responsibility. So knowing that it was in good hands um, with a guy like Riley Nash, real, real bright, real, real thoughtful player. Um, you know, for me, he's, he's, a uh, the choice for that, for that reward. All right. So now let's get to our coach of the year. Um, as I said, we don't have a card for that. Um, that'd be pretty funny though. Uh, so coach of the year for you would be who? Mitch Love, Calgary, Calgary Wranglers. There's a future NHL head coach there. Um, you know, everywhere he goes, like he just makes an impression. He wins. Right. I mean, you know, and I love what the, what he's done with this this young group. I mean, there's certainly talent with the Calgary uh, system, but um, I don't know that they're the most talented. Uh, I don't, you know, yeah, I don't know individually. If like powerhouse, exactly. I'd agree with you on that. But the collective way they play, the way that every every night, like they are dialed in. Like you don't see too many cluckers with them over the course of the season. Right? You don't see a night when they just come in, don't show up. Um, 
And that is not easy in a league where you have players coming and going. You have um, travel, you have long road trips, especially being a Western team. Uh, to get that level of consistency, really from almost start to finish, um, is impressive. And uh, he won it last year. He, uh, he was named the, the HL's choice this year. And, and for me, he's just such a plain spoken um, guy. Like, you know, he's not, he's not a yeller, he's not a screamer. He's just uh, kind of very matter of fact. Uh, a lot like Carl Taylor in that sense. Um, you know, kind of just lays out the facts. All right, here's what you need to do. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're not doing right. Let's work on this. It's a positive, productive environment that he creates. And uh, for me, um, he may uh, well be a Calder Cup champion by the uh, by the end of June. Yeah, and, you know, this is his second year coaching the AHL. He was a, a head coach of the WHL with the Everett Silver Tips and the Saskatoon Blades uh, for a little bit. Actually, sorry, he was an assistant coach with the Silver Tips and then became a head coach with the Blades in, in 2019. So said he's only 38 years old, one of the fastest rising coaches in the game right now. Let's get to another one of our custom made awards, and that's the breakout player of the year. And this one's a goaltender as well. And so for this, it's a little bit different criteria. I will say we're doing sort of someone that, you know, went from the, the biggest leap of an NHL yeah. player per se. And that could even bleed into the NHL, which our breakout player of the year does. Right, Pat? Well, he's a guy who's making uh, quite a number of headlines right now. Uh, the NHL just went into Boston, um, took a win against the uh, one of the greatest teams, really, ever in NHL history. Um, has that series now coming back 1-1. That's Alex Lyon of the Florida Panthers, uh, formerly, I guess you might say, of the Charlotte Checkers. Sure. Um, Calder Cup champion last year was Chicago. But a guy, another guy, maybe a little bit like a Darren Radish, I've been kind of labeled as an AHL player, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he, he went through the Philly system. He had gone through the Carolina system. Never could really get past that, you know, being that third guy in the depth chart. Um, gets an opportunity in Florida. Um, they're a team that they had to scratch and claw to get the, into the playoffs. Um, now he's pushed, uh, you know, like – guy like Sergey Bobrovsky off to the side, right? Like as now, now he's the starter, Bobrovsky's the backup, right? Like, you know, it's just, it goes to show you, right? Like how fast this game can change, even though it seems like it's such a long time, right? Like here's a guy who's been just grinding away in the NHL for a long time. Um, you know, has always been working to refine his game, is very cerebral player, um, you know, never kind of just – sat back on his, uh, you know, his achievements. So just kept pushing, 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 got the opportunity, got a real opportunity uh, during pressure situation and, and took it and ran with it. And it's also a good example of having that uh, experience going through a Calder Cup run, how that can carry, carry over, you know, you know, to the NHL level. And, and pressure is pressure. And I've had players say that, that, you know, like we think of pressure being in the Stanley Cup being so much higher mm-hmm. uh, than the AHL, but, you know, you know, kind of in the moment, it's just, it's either produce or don't, right? And so if you kind of boil that idea of pressure down to that, um, yeah, it's, it's a good mindset to have, and a guy like Lyon is really showing that. Absolutely. That concludes our overdue um, AHL award for this season. Let's uh, let's pivot over to, this is this kind of a reflective topic as well, and, and that has to do with, you know, the two 19-year-old defensemen that are that absolutely dominated. I mean, maybe dominate is extreme, but definitely you know raise some some eyebrows in the AHL this year. And that's Simon Nemich along with David Yerchek, we mentioned before. 
Um, just, you know, a really interesting thing that we've seen because, you know, there's only been like 10 or 11, I think it is, 19-year-olds or eight, like in your draft year plus one. There's only been about 11 draft year plus one defensemen in the HL over the last 10 years. So it, it's rare. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the NHL-CHL player agreement is a big part of that. And a lot of these cases, it's, it's European players that are willing to, to come over early and not stay overseas. But it, it's definitely some food for thought. I think when teams are, are drafting and picking between two guys, you know, look at the, the, the steps that a Simon Nemich made or that a David Yurchek made. And then you look at Brant Clark, who's having a good season in the OHL statistically, but he's going from the NHL to the OHL. Like, how much are you really gaining? And I think that, you know, it, it's a good point. It's an interesting debate. Just And there's evidence that, you know, these guys have taken massive steps this year. And I think that, being in North America earlier rather than later is a big part of that. Think about it, right? Like you have your check, you have Nemitz, um, 18 when they come in and they've been able to work on everything on and off the ice, just uh, living, living by yourself, uh, you know, or just kind of living as, as an adult, you know, obviously, you know, in the case of, of European players, you know, really kind of working on the language skills, which is going to be huge. Uh, throughout your career, you know, um, settling in with older players, right? Like you're not playing now with your, your age group. You're playing with guys that are, well, in some cases in their early thirties, right? Like they have, you know, families, uh, just sort of that whole pro lifestyle. I think it's a great point. I think it's, it's definitely something to think about the more, the more opportunity you have to bring these players into your system as soon as possible and get them under your coaching, um, get your resources have them, you know, especially now with affiliates being so close, yeah, um, geographically, that's you know you can have your 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 skills coaches, your development coaches, and obviously your HL coaching staff, all working with these players on, on a, almost a daily basis, right? So, um, I think when you know if, if if these two were off in junior, for example, I don't think their game is as far nearly as far along as it would be uh, here. And now you looked at like a, a Nevis, like. He just played his first AHL playoff game last night. Looked good, and uh, he has an opportunity. If Utica can can get, I think, past this Laval series, I think Utica could definitely do some damage, right? And so he could be playing in, into mid May even longer. Um, you know, playing high pressure, experience. high high pressure games and getting heavy minutes. Like he's not just he's not just kind of a passenger. He's like he's a huge part of that Utica blue line. I, I love I love this opportunity for these young guys. I think um, we're seeing it more, like you said. Uh, we traditionally more start with forwards, but now there's that there's that more to that comfort level now. Okay, let's bring a young defenseman in. Well, think about we're, it. These guys played pro in Europe before, so it's yeah. like you know, you look at the two. So if you have a prospect that is high on your radar and he just played in Europe. You know, versus the guy that's playing and, and demonstrating his ability in junior. I'm not a scout or a math scout. I'm just saying that, like, it's definitely way more impressive to, you know, produce or to be a bigger part of a pro team in Europe than yeah. an amateur team in North America. So then you can take that player that's that far ahead and then give them AHL experience. It really accelerates their progression in their formative years. Well, sure. I mean, I, I'm constantly impressed by, the, like, some of the, like, a Joachim Kemmel coming over, uh, you know, he came over from Finland, uh, played in the league there um, fits right in, you know, a lot of the guys that played in the Swedish hockey league, like they come over and, and it's almost seamless, right? Totally. Like, you know, because again, they're playing, they're playing guys mid twenties, early thirties. I mean, high yeah. level 
pro competition. The emphasis on that is pro. You're not playing 16, 17, 18 year olds in junior, right? Like you're, you have to raise your game. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to get kind of like, you know, run over in that, in that level. And, and so that they're already sort of used to it. And now they're able to bring it over here, translate it to the, you know, North American game, North American type schedule. Uh, and it's a nice blend of both worlds. And I think, you know, I think New Jersey and Columbus both really will benefit long-term from, from uh, maybe going this path with their young, two excellent uh, young prospects like this. I completely agree on that. So let's now let's shift away from the reflective sort of um, tone that we've had here. And let's get into the present and a bit of non-playoff discussion. Um, Connor, you can take the cards down, by the way. Thank you. Uh, Producer Connor, shout out the MVP of the show. So there's a bit of a coaching carousel happening with the AHL right now. There's about three, three and a half uh, jobs open. I say half because one of the teams, uh, it's an interim kind of basis. We're yet to, to find out for sure. So let's get over. Let's go over that topic. Grand Rapids uh, did not renew Ben Simon. San Diego uh, lost Roy Sommer, who retired. Uh, Henderson and Manny Pavaros mutually split. And then Belleville let go of Troy Mann earlier in the year. Uh, David Bell's been the interim. So we don't know if that's going to become permanent. So he's kind of a 0.5. So anyways, three, three, four, however you want to slice it. Coaching um, opportunities are available. Let's get into each situation one by one. Grand Rapids is the one I want to start with. Steve Eiserman was pretty uh, pretty direct in his end-of-year of, of press conference, which is, for starters, what you'd expect for an organization like Detroit that's sort of the cream of the crop of, of the, the development game. They, they've always overbaked their guys in Grand Rapids and have been good at it. Um, it's a big part of the development model. And Steve Eiserman, you know, he comes from Tampa Bay, where, of course, um, Syracuse is a big part of it, too. So he he made it clear that, it, that this year was not acceptable. Uh, Grand Rapids missed the playoffs. And, and from that, Ben Simon's not returning. What was your initial thought on that, Pat? Yeah, he was, he was pretty pointed in his comments. Um, totally. Um, and they didn't just miss either. Like they were, you know, standings points wise, they look like they're not far off, but they were one of those teams that just never got, got it together, never got on a run. And like, totally. they were able, you know, to kind of hobble into March before kind of, you know, really became clear they were not going to make it. And it's a huge opportunity that was missed, right? Yeah. Like, like you could have put in is uh, Simon Edmondson, right? Like put in, right. like he could have gotten the same opportunity that like a, a average is getting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, or other, you know, other young players, right? So that's, it's definitely an opportunity missed. Uh, Sean Horkoff, the GM in Grand Rapids, uh, had a press conference as well. Echoed a lot of the same thoughts. Uh, now they didn't put it on Simon. I don't think it would be fair to put this all on Simon. Like, uh, a lot of the veterans there uh, did not produce. There was a lot of call-ups. There was a lot of just general disruption. Um, Horkoff made the point that, you know, he's, Simon's been the head coach here for five years. He was with the team overall for eight years as, you know, combined as an assistant. So maybe it was just time for a new voice. And I think that's that's fair to say. Yeah. That's, you know, there's probably, you know, a time. And Ben Simon's a, a high-quality coach. I think he'll certainly land back on his feet somewhere. Um, I certainly wouldn't put, you know, most or even, you know, that much of this on him. Like there's a lot more that was going on, uh, you know, in terms of players just not playing up to their potential. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and then we've talked about this, like in the end, players are responsible for their own careers. Like coach can only do so much. Right. Like, and I know that Ben Simon was always prepared. 
Um, so that's not the issue. But I think just a fresh start, a new voice. You know, this is this this was a key year for 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 Grand Rapids and for Detroit by extension in terms of that uh, rebuild and that development. Um, next year, because of this year not being up to expectations, is going to be that much more important as a result. So. Uh, they're putting a lot of thought into the next hire coaching wise. Uh, so it'll be interesting. That's a highly sought after job. Keep in mind too, that, um, Ben Simon was brought on when Ken Holland was in charge. Mm. So I think it's also, you know, given how the year went and other factors makes sense that, yeah, you know, Stevie's going to get his own guy. Um, I heard a lot of, of, of Toledo's coach, Dan Watson is his name is, is getting yes. a lot of recognition. They're off to a really good season in the ECHL and, and, you know, Derek Lalonde had his start in the ECHL as well. Um, and wouldn't put out of the question they promote that way. The three-tier affiliation is something they're pretty good at with Sebastian Cosa in the ECHL as well. Let's uh, let's get to the next coaching vacancy on the market right now, and that is the most recent one, Henderson Silver Knights. Manny Vivaros split with the, the Vegas organization. Were you surprised on this one? Um, a little bit. Uh, I, I know it's... Um, first off, I think Manny's uh, you know, one of the most interesting coaches I've dealt with, right? Like he has a really interesting blend of like, he had a long coaching career in Europe, uh, internationally in Austria, you know, coached you know, both club wise and international uh, also has a pretty good background in the Western league. Right. Yeah. So two kind of very different coaching, uh, coaching jobs, right? Like, you know, over in Europe, obviously a different style of game, veterans, all that. And, you know, Western league is junior whole different type of style brought that to the HL. I, I always really enjoyed hearing his perspective. I think he did have, uh, you know, really kind of just a blend of a lot of different uh, uh, parts of the game background. Right. So like, um, again, it was another team that was disappointing. So like Viveros didn't, you know, I mean, he didn't really have his full team there uh, really at any point. Uh, I, I, I think to their credit, they did battle like, Certainly, if you talk to the Calgary regulars, like they hated facing Henderson. Like Henderson had their number um, for much of the season, right? Like Henderson just or Henderson drove Calgary crazy. Like, and uh, th- that was the thing. I think you can always judge a coach on like did his teams compete. Manny's teams always competed. Um, I was impressed by uh, what they did, considering you know what they often had or didn't have uh, in their lineups. So. Uh, yeah, so unfortunate for him, but uh, again, I think he's another n- another person that's highly respected. He has NHL assistant coaching experience as well. He'll certainly be okay. He'll certainly find something uh, else. And uh, you know, I think certainly if he wants to stay on the AHL path, uh, there will certainly be uh, some definite interest in suitors for him. Did you see Roy Sommer retiring? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think Roy, you know, like, uh, why, San, yes. why didn't he retire after San Jose? I think he just wanted m- one more, like he wanted to kind of go out on his terms, like, sure, you know, um, Fair. for sure. And San Diego is not the worst place to go out on your terms. Right. Like, you know, his wife, uh, is a school teacher and she was able to get a school teaching job, uh, in San Diego for the year. So like, you know, his, his family's always been a huge consideration for him. Right. Like, um, um, I think he just, yeah, he wanted one more, uh, kick at it. And, uh, unfortunately for him, the team really, really struggled. I mean, that was the case where again, Anaheim's problems 
came right down to the to the AHL affiliates. I mean, you know, there's a constant uh, stream of call-ups. I mean, Anaheim struggle again. Like when generally when the NHL team has a rough go, that's going to affect the AHL team. And sure enough, it did. It was a it's a rough year really from start to finish. They lost Chase DeLeo, uh, second game of the year for four months. He was their captain, cap, counted on to be kind of everything for them. Um, uh, but uh, Roy Sommer, just a fantastic legacy, all-time leader in the league in coaching wins, coach, mm-hmm. games coached, uh, 25 years behind the bench, uh, uninterrupted, and um, sent over 150 players to the NHL. Uh, and some real, real high-impact ones too, right? Like, you know, and also some guys that really were like, Anything but a surefire, like a Doug Murray, for example, uh, several years ago, see a defenseman. I mean, came in and completely raw, and uh, you know, worked and worked and worked, and got him uh, eventually into an NHL player. So, uh, Roy Sommers, it's it's going to be weird not having him around. He's such a such a fixture in this league, right? Like you don't really like you can't really picture the HL without him, right? Like, you know, like with Dave Andrews as, you know, stepping down as president uh, a couple years back and Al Vori being gone, it's it really does start to now feel like a kind of a changing of the guard and, uh, you, know, you know, different, uh, different era, really. Absolutely. And now uh, Belleville. Belleville. Yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot happened at Belleville this year. They had about, <laughs> certainly did. They had about uh, 2,045 goalies. And, uh, yeah, I don't even know if I know half their names. What a weird year for the Senators. Like, honestly. Like, it's hard to really, you know, they, they made the coaching change. They're kind of struggling all year. They're bringing guys up, bringing them down. They kind of had the elevator treatment going on with, with a lot of their prospects. Consistency was kind of their enemy. Do, do you think David Bell's given a shot here? Or do you think they just go, let's clean slate this? I think he'll get a shot. Like I think they were impressed by like that. For, first of all, that that team plays hard, like yep. every night. Like and no matter I who's in Toronto, Atlanta. and they, yeah. their season was done, and they whipped Toronto seven three. Granted, Toronto's yeah. struggling, but still, I was very impressed with their ethic, worth that. Like work ethic. they they battle right, like, yeah. and and that's him. Like that's how he was as a player. He was he was that kind of player. Um, came up the Brian Kilray uh, school of. Uh, you know, he played for him in, in junior with the 67s. Um, you know, just uh, again, uh, kind of that new new type of coach where it's just very straightforward, a very plain spoken. Um, he came in uh, into a difficult situation mid year, um, had to take a team that was struggling. Um, somehow, the fact that they even made it into the final week of the season still in contention, I think, was was a miracle. Frankly, you know, given what they had roster wise uh, coming and going, 10 goalies, uh, they actually had to go to the federal league at one point to bring in the backup. I mean, that just goes to show you where they were. They were, they were looking, they're scratching and clawing just for anyone. Dylan Ferguson came in. Uh, great story. Wait, do they go to the federal league or do they ask who in the stands can play goalie and then someone raised their hand and their highest qualification was federal league? Like, no, on. they were, they were in, um, that's three they were below Bridgeport. Them. Yeah, well, they were in Bridgeport. They had already brought a, a goalie in from Queens at the end of the uh, university season. Brought him in. Uh, Kevin Mandelisi uh, got hurt in morning skate. He couldn't go. So uh, you had your Queens goalie as your new number one that night. And they had to go to the Federal League to bring in a backup. Uh, you know, so And that was on a road trip. And it was just kind of like it was a it was real kind of simple of the season, right? Like just – it was one thing after another, and just, he always kept an even keel, never got 
never got, you know, a team takes on the personality of its coach. So if a, if a coach is kind of get, getting rattled, I think a team will. He always kept it real calm, real cool. And uh, as a result, uh, you know, that was a team where they played far above their uh, their level. Um, and I think I think he certainly earned a shot to come back here as the uh, as a full time guy next year. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's hard to judge David Bell the sample size, sure for David Bell because of some of the you know uncontrollable factors we just mentioned uh, for starters, and secondly too, like when you have coaching coaching change happening and personnel, like that's just a team that needed a reset, right? And you yeah. can't really get that mid year in the AHL. So, no. and, and you know, next year's a new year. So next week, where will we be in the playoffs by next week? Next episode. By next week, we are we are fully through the the best of three rounds. Um, and we'll tee yeah, up the so second round, right? We'll tee up. So essentially, I know it's a complicated system where it starts with twenty three teams, but essentially, if you think of the playing round as a way, um, you pair down seven teams, you get down to a nice sixteen team field. And then from it really starts. Yeah, from there it's one and four, two and three in terms of seeding. Uh, it's real, real straightforward. You get like two it. best of five series, followed by best of seven conference final, and then a best of seven uh, cup final. So it gets a lot simpler. I know that that uh, a lot of people kind of scratch their head trying to figure out the early rounds here, but the way um, to think about it, it's like the NBA's playing thing. Yeah, it's probably comparable yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say wild card games for baseball but no the nba it's a play-in right you yeah. win and then you if you lose uh, except the one difference is if you lose you still made the playoffs right technically speaking yes technically okay. this is considered making the playoffs okay but, um, you know everybody i think certainly is higher expectations and going play-in. out in three games and uh you yeah, know for sure um all right so then we'll we'll come back next week ready to tee up the second round and recap the first round play-in but, uh, yeah, until then, we're going to take off. And, and thanks for listening to our overdue award show. And uh, we'll see you next week.